0: Welcome. We're glad you're in this place, and uh, I do hope that if you've never been introduced uh, to the powerful person of Jesus, that uh, today would be your day. If you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you feel a long way off. We want to celebrate with you and hope that you'll take at least one step towards home. But uh, good to see you here. Uh, We know we have a few people that are coming in maybe for the first time, and maybe you've been around a while but feel like you're a first-timer because you've never connected we want to encourage you to do that with us and how we connect around here um, is through connect groups and they're actually going to be beginning uh, this week our connect groups will start uh, Tuesday night will be our group here we're going to have ladies meeting inside into the Holy of Holies Uh, the men have to go on the outside um, for obvious theological reasons they're not prepared for this Uh, but the ladies meet in here the men will meet out there we have a table group with table group leaders. That's how we work this uh, medium-sized connect group, if you will. And then the men are on the outside, and theirs is a same medium-sized group. There's probably less sharing, uh, less talking, less crying, for sure. Uh, less of all that, but there is real connection happening. And we've been really, really thankful and grateful for how God has connected us over the last year, and we're starting that up again on Tuesday. Now, some of you may want to connect on a different level, maybe even more of a small group, a traditional small group type level, and we have some of those options as well. Maybe the Tuesday night just doesn't work for you in your schedule. But we encourage you today to make sure you sign up. Even if you're planning on coming, and you say, oh, I already told so-and-so I'm going to be here. If you would sign up, it helps us prepare. So if you go on to bridgeclarksville.com, Uh, connect groups and sign up there. We'll at least be able to prepare and make it the best possible experience that we have for you. But we want you to connect. We want you to know each other. We believe that we connect so that God can grow our faith. He grows us uh, in community. So if you're not a part of that, if you've been kicking it around, we hope that you will at least give it a shot uh, this week. And they'll start on Tuesday. And we're going to begin... um, I guess a series, I wasn't planning on doing a series on it, then the more I tried to trim it down, it hit me like Tuesday afternoon that I had like a four hour sermon, I thought that's not going to fly anywhere, and so I got it to three and then to two and thought what am I doing here, so we may do this in this area for a couple of weeks as we focus on the idea of turnarounds and going from worst to first. And we are attracted to those kinds of stories. Um, This is football season. It's begun. Even if you're not a football fan, you can probably get the gist of going from the worst team to the best team, from worst to first. And right now, it's happening all over the place. We were talking with, I was talking with a friend in the lobby here uh, before the service. And the truth is, the best team in the SEC right now, after two weeks, is Vanderbilt. Better than Alabama, but I mean, it's just, it's the way it is. They're and 2-0, you know. So right now, everybody's tied for first. The Titans are the number one seed in the entire NFL at 0-0. Zero and zero. No one else is better than that. Um, we like the idea of everybody going from worst to first. And Titans, obviously, were not worst last year. They were in first, but we like those stories. And we like the idea of the turnaround, of cheering for the one who's been down for a long time, and then God finally raised up and put that person in a position of glory. And if we're not careful, when we look at stories, those turnarounds that people that we know made or people that we've read about have made, where their lives were over here and it was a mess, and then now they're over here living in joy and stepping on sunshine and the whole thing. When we look at those stories, we tend to focus either on the gore, how bad it was before, or we want to highlight and focus and even put on a pedestal the glory part. So it's either the gore or the glory. But what I want us to do for this time we have together is to look in the middle, to look at the turnaround. Like what was it that moved it from yuck, gory, bad, bottom of the barrel, end of my rope kind of living to where it is now? What was it in between? Because something had to happen. What was the catalyst for the turnaround? And I don't mean to say that any of you necessarily are living there. You're not at the bottom, at the very end. Maybe you are. I don't know that. But we will all inevitably be in a place where we wake up one day and say, this is not how my life was supposed to be. And I want it to be here. So what has got to happen? So we're going to spend a little time looking at some turnaround stories and seeing how God actually made the turnaround. What was it that went on? And we're going to have to look at their stories, understand their lives a little bit, look at a little bit of the past, a little bit of the future, but I really want us to look into the middle. And the person that we're going to look at today, his name is Jacob. And if you're not familiar with his story, it's in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we'll have a few verses that we'll actually read together here a little bit later on. Now, Jacob lived a long, long time ago, long before David was the king of Israel and long before Israel even had kings, long before there was an Israel, long before even Moses led the people out of slavery, long before that, there was a man named Jacob. And Jacob was born into this promise. He was born into uh, potential. He had an incredible story that he was born into. His grandfather's name was Abraham. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably have heard of Abraham. Uh, Rarely do you have to to say, Abraham who? Like, we kind of, we have one, most of us. Even if you're not familiar at all with the story of God, you don't know the Bible, you've probably heard of Abraham. Well, Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. And God gave Abraham an incredible promise. One day he said, look around the stars in the sky above. He said, even more than that will be your descendants. Abraham didn't have any descendants at all. Uh, they'd been unable to have children, and, and God was made good on his promise. He allowed him to be a dad, and Abraham was not perfect. He made a lot of mistakes, but God kept that promise. And he said, through you, I'm going to create a nation of people. Well, Abraham's child that was a part of that line, his name was Isaac. And Isaac was the one, if you can think back and remember a little bit of Abraham's story, that God told to sacrifice. And Abraham, without telling his wife what was going on, took his own son, Isaac, for the purpose of sacrificing him up to God to be obedient. And then right before he actually did the thing, God stopped him and said, Don't do that. I'm going to provide for you. So Isaac grows up his entire life being unable to unsee the image of his dad standing above him with a knife. Now, there's a lot of trauma that a lot of us have gone through, but there's no way Isaac was ever the same. There's no way you can unsee your father in that moment. He immediately became a mama's boy right after that. From that moment forward, mama was his one, like that was his person. If there was any doubt, he became a mama's boy then. Well, Isaac grew up that mama's boy. He fell in love. He got married. He had a family, and they had twins, Esau and Jacob, the one we'll talk about today. Esau's the firstborn. So the plan, if things go according to how God is said, would be that God would be ultimately known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That would be the plan. He's the firstborn. He gets the promise. But Esau had a son, or had a brother named Jacob, who was born just a few minutes later. He literally grabbed on to Esau's ankle as he was being born. They named him deceiver or Heel grabber. That's what Jacob means. And Jacob decided at some point he was going to live up to his name. He was in this dysfunctional family, and sub- not, you know, not surprisingly, I guess, there was division there. His dad, Isaac, loved Esau more. His mama chose him. So he grew up knowing that he was a mama's boy, not because like his dad, he chose that just because his mama liked him better. He was more like her. He had the same kind of interests, and he was more of a stay-at-home, let's-work-around-the-house guy. Esau was out killing stuff, getting into trouble, running around, smelly, stinky, sweaty all the time. Like that was kind of Esau's life. So the time came when Isaac was going to tell Esau, you're the man. He said, I'll tell you what, go kill some, kill some wild game. Let's have a meal together. They went to do that. He said, you come back, and then I'm going to officially bless you and pronounce you the heir. And while he was gone, Jacob's mom said, let's take advantage of this. Your brother's out. It's going to take him a while. He's always trying to do what he can to help, you know, to be the best for your dad. So I know this hunt may take a moment. You just go grab any old livestock. Let's go grab something here. I'll tell you what, let's have a sacrifice here. Sacrifice one of your pets here, and I'll cook it up, and we'll have a stew with, with Fred. And we'll stew the, the, st- Fred the goat will be the stew, and your dad will never know the difference. I know how he likes to eat. I'll make something for him. Then we'll put some hair all over your arms, and he'll think it's you, your brother, and you'll get the blessing. And that's exactly what happened. Well, after it happened, his mom looked at him and said, you better get out of town. So he got the blessing. He became the one. It was not going to be any more Abraham and then Isaac and then Esau. It was going to be Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. And Esau made the decision like any older brother would. I'm going to kill that guy. The next time I see him, I'm going to kill my brother. Like this, He's not ever going to live and breathe and live under this roof again. Well, he left. He ran away. He wound up at his uncle's property, out of the country, far away, at his uncle's property. And we don't have time to go through it all, but he ended up wanting to marry his first cousin, which, of course, what every you know boy wants to do. What? I know. He wanted to marry his first cousin, and instead of that... Through some trickery of her dad, his uncle, um, he ended up marrying two first cousins, sisters. He married them both. And what began then was this odd back and forth of who can be the most amazing mother. And so they began to fight to have kids. And one sister was out kidding the other. And they, they were, it was just weird. And so then another servant girl got brought in. And then another servant girl And you have Jacob, this one who stole the promise, carried the mantle of Abraham's family and God's promise for the nations, and yet here he is coming home from work every day saying, who am I supposed to be with tonight? And it was just either this wife or this wife or this servant or that servant. And in our little immature minds, we could go back and go, well, every guy, listen, at some point, that's just messed up. And Jacob knew it, because Jacob not only had this environment, he also had in the back of his mind the truth that he ran away, that he busted up his family and ran away, that his brother hates him, that there's this divide in their home, and that he's hiding. And God's got this promise for his family, and it's resting on him. And he's populating the earth right. he's doing his part of the nations, but This is not the way God had intended. And he's at this point of thinking, I've got to get this thing turned around. Well, if we jumped forward in the story, what you would eventually find is God meeting with Jacob, changing his name to Israel and saying, your sons will be the figurehead for the tribes of Israel. And you're now in this place. and I'll be known as God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob from now until the end for this nation. Whoa, Wait, wait a minute. You've got this immoral, jacked-up guy who's got four ladies. He just goes back and forth between, and he's—he's literally uh, has a bounty on his head, and he busted up his family. He stole from his brother, and now he's going to be the guy. What in the world happened in between? And that's what I want us to take a look at here. And before we look at the Scripture, I'm going to give you the first of two turnaround moments in Jacob's life, turnaround principles. The first is this, very little contentment and a whole lot of conflict forced the decision to go. And just leave that on the screen for just a moment. Very little contentment, he grew discontented with his situation, and a whole lot of conflict. That's what actually forced the decision to go. I got to get out of this. I can't do this anymore. Because up until this point, he had trained himself to be content with what was going on. I'll just live here for my uncle-slash-father-in-law, with my wife-slash-sister-in-law, and my other wife-slash-sister-in-law, and their servants, and all these kids, and I'll just make as much money as I can, and that'll be the way it is. I'll live in a place where I don't belong. I won't live up to the promise God has for me. I'll just stay right here. And he had grown really accustomed to life on the bottom. And that was, from his perspective, how life was. But over time, God began to stir in him a little bit. And there was this feeling of, I'm not okay with this anymore. I'm not okay with settling for less than what God has for me. And that's where I believe that many of you at some point are going to have to get, if you're ever going to see a turnaround, you've got to get to the point of saying, it's just not okay anymore. I'm not all right with where I am. And that's where Jacob was. And in Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, it says, now it came about when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away so that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you yourself know my service which I have rendered to you. He was saying, I'm sick of this. I can't do it anymore. And I don't want to overlook things or read too much into it, but I don't know that he had the plan to literally go to his home property. Or if it was just, I've got to get out of here and head back to where I know. God had promised my grandfather that there was going to be something special here. That this was going to be a place of promise and of prominence eventually. I've I got to go back there. I, I don't live here. This is not where I belong. But he made the decision to go. And he told Laban, his uncle slash Father-in-law, I want to get out of here, slash employer. I want to go. I don't want to work for you anymore. Let me have my wives, your daughters, and those servants, all my, grand, or my kids, your grandkids, all my stuff. I just want to get out of this place. Enough was enough. And he was no longer content with something that he had been apparently content with up until this moment. And I want to let you maybe off the hook a little bit Because sometimes when we're all sensitive, we're afraid we're being prideful. Um, And I've got wonderful godly people around me that tend to qualify everything they say with, now listen, I know I don't deserve this, I know I don't deserve this, but we don't always have to qualify everything. It's okay at some point to realize that I was created for more than this. I was made for more than this. It's not always prideful or arrogant to say, this is not it. I don't need to hide my entire life. I don't need to just stay quiet my entire life because I'm afraid of being looked at as discontented and arrogant. And It's okay to admit you were made for more. The psalm says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know it was specific to other people, but there was a time when Jeremiah said that God said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yes, he was talking about his people, but that's a principle that crosses over generations Crosses over people groups. He said, "Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future." God's got great stuff planned for you, and some of you have just settled, and you're just okay with life the way it is. I'll just continue to hide. I'll continue to deal with this. I'll continue to handle the way things the way I'm handling it. I don't want conflict, so I'll just continue to not talk to that person in my house. We'll just cross paths in the hallway. It's not that big a deal. I'll just continue to go to work. Keep my head down, not suggest, not talk, not encourage, not get to know, not connect. I'll just keep my head down and do my thing. I'm just going to deal with my struggle, deal with my discouragement, deal with my depression. I'm just going to handle it. And you've, that's become your normal. You've gotten used to it and you've settled. And at some point, if there's ever going to be a turnaround, you've got to be willing to say, this is not okay anymore. I was created for more than this. But what I love about the story here is how God actually made it happen. He brought in a lot of conflict. It wasn't just this little sense of discontentment. There was a lot of conflict. Jacob and Laban, his employer, father-in-law, uncle, did not get along very well. And there was a lot of strife and a lot of back and forth. And he got to the point of saying, I don't want to be with this guy anymore. And I bring that up because that's often how God moves us. We feel like when there's conflict that somebody did something wrong. And a lot of times that is true sometimes God is working through that conflict and he will allow you to go through conflict in order to move you because he's been watching you your entire life and you're not doing anything. You're not responding to any of the prompts and he will allow stuff to come in and maybe even put it in your life in order to get you out of where you are. We complain about being in a rut and then God brings some conflict in the us, and we think, God, why would you ever do that? God is willing to let you lose your job to wake you up. He's willing to let you go through some financial hardship in order to get your attention. He will bring conflict in at times just to make you go, wait a minute. And every significant movement I've had in my life had conflict somewhere in it. There was just a sense of, yeah, I don't think I want to work with you anymore. Or just a sense of, yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to be on the same team anymore. Or, I think I want to make a change here. or I'm going to speak up. or We're going to address this. We're not going to just have this pretend silent thing going on with us. We're going to handle it because it's just continuing to circle and we're not going anywhere. And God will use a lack of contentment. God will use a whole lot of conflict in order to wake you up, to move you to what he has next. Because if Jacob had been satisfied and settled... He never leaves that place. He never reconciles with his family. He doesn't have that meeting with God on the way back. He doesn't have that name change moment with the Lord. He doesn't go back home and be restored and have all that put back together if he's not first willing to get up and say, I was made for more than this. And it all happened with a uh, lack of contentment and a bit of conflict. Well, the second thing and the other point I want to bring out of his turnaround here is that it's confidence in God's word that gave him the courage to go home. It was a lack of contentment and conflict that caused him to say, I got to get out of here. But it was actually the confidence in God's word that gave him the courage to be willing to say, I'm not only just leaving, I'm not just going to head back to familiar places, I'm going home. And that was a big, big decision. Because if Jacob went home, That means he's got to go home and be honest about what happened. He's got to be honest about what tore the family apart. He's got to go look at people in the eye that he hurt and say, I'm sorry, I need you to forgive me. He's got to go back and be willing to take the, the bruises in the relationship as they slowly begin to repair. He's got to go back, the deceiver, and say, yes, I lived up to my name. And yes, I'm embarrassed to say, as much as I accomplished, I could not escape the fact that that's not where I belong. There was a lot that he had to go through in order to go home. It would have been much easier just to keep hiding. Just to keep saying, as long as I'm here, I don't have to deal with it. No one has to bring it up, because when I get home, people are going to say, "Oh, look who's come home! What do you need? What do you want? What's going on now?" You know, Esau is going to—he's going to kill you. He's going to stab you as soon as he sees you. Just kind of get ready for that. Have your men ready. Be prepared. He had to go through all of those what ifs and what ifs and fears and doubts in his mind, but he said, "It's got to be better than living this way." I'm tired. I'm tired of running tired of hiding, I'm tired of faking this, I'm tired of pretending I'm someone I'm not, I'm tired of not living up to the plans God has for me, I'm just sick of all this and I'm ready to go. So he decides he's going to go home, but it's because of the confidence that God gave him. In Genesis chapter 31 verse 3, after he decided he was ready to go, it says, the Lord spoke to him, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives And I will be with you. I want you to go home. I don't want you to just leave here. I want you to actually go home. Go back to your family. Go back to where you know. But I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you the whole step. And I look at this story and I wonder if God was waiting on Jacob to make the decision that enough is enough before he actually spoke with him. Because I tried to read and reread and go back and forth for chapters and chapters and try to find other moments there. But it seems like this is the moment where God clarified what Jacob was feeling in his heart. And if Jacob had never made the decision to go to Laban and say, I'm out of here, man. Does he ever hear God speak these words to him? Now, maybe he was feeling it. Maybe God revealed it to him in a prayer already. I don't know. But this is where we have God showing up saying, I want you to go home specifically, go back to where you came from, and I'm going to be with you the whole way. And maybe some of you are waiting on God to tell you how it's going to work out, to give you a promise, and God's waiting on you to be willing to stand up and say, enough's enough, I'm out of here. And whenever you're ready to turn around, which is the actual word repent, when you're ready to turn around and go back in a different direction That's when God steps up and says, now I have your attention. Now let's move forward with the plan. I've had this for you all along. I've been waiting on you. You're ready to go. You've been discontented enough. You've been in enough conflict. And now you're ready to go back. And I'm going to be with you. So Jacob had the courage to move forward, not because he was confident in himself, but because he had the confidence in God's word and what he was telling him to do. And there are some times in my own life where I've got things in front of me that I've just I just walk on. It's going to be big. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know all the plans. I just move. And there have been times when people around me have said things that I don't deserve. Like, your faith is so strong. How can you just not worry about the result here? How can you not worry about this falling through? It's not that I have great faith at all. It's just I made the decision years ago that I was going to take God at his word. And if he has given me a promise, then I'm walking into that promise. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm not going to doubt him. It also means when I do fail and when I stumble when I sin and when I fall, I'm able to lean on those promises to say he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. And I also have to lean into the promise where I have to go to the people that I've heard and say, I'm sorry. I have to lean into the, his words where it says, if you don't forgive them, don't expect uh, me to forgive you. And I just continue to walk on. It's not because I have this great ability of faith. It's just I trust him. I take him at his word. This week, I had a prayer that I was praying every single day. And it was important to me. It's not really important to y'all, but it was important to me. And I went through every promise I could. Like, Lord, I don't, you don't have because you don't ask. Well, here I am asking. If you have the faith as small as, or, as a mustard seed, if you'll just have that kind of faith, you can say to this mountain, move, and it, it'll move. If, if you'll just believe, I'll do this. You have not. Because you haven't asked me, you haven't asked in faith, you haven't asked in my name. And over and over, I was giving God all these promises. And at the end of the week, he didn't do it at all. He did not do what I asked him to do. And yesterday, I had someone else saying, would you pray for this? And I went back to that thought. You don't really want to ask me. My prayers apparently don't work because I prayed all week and God didn't do that. But that's not the way you walk through it. I just say, God, you had a different plan. I know I asked in faith. I know I prayed with the right heart. I know I believe with everything I am. You didn't do it, and you must have something better. I'm moving on. I'm not getting stuck here. I'm taking you at your word. I'm going to follow in. And at some point along the way, as Jacob packed up to go, after conflict caused it, I'm sure there had to be moments as he walked back where he thought, what am I doing, man? I mean, I've got, I got all these women. I've got all these kids. I've got this baggage. I've got this uncertainty They're all looking at me like, where are we going? I really don't know. I'm going home to a man that said he would kill me if I ever came back. He's my family. I stole everything from him. Like, I I don't know. There had to be those moments. But all he could go back on was the Lord saying, go home where you belong, and I will be with you. And if you're going to make a turnaround in your life, there are going to be moments where you think, I I don't know. I'm not sure I can do this. I've tried before. I tried to quit before. I tried to turn things around. It hadn't worked out. But at some point, you're going to have to be willing to say, even if all this falls apart, I can't do that anymore, so I'm going to go. And I don't know what turnaround you may or may not need. Maybe it's a relational need. You've got some dysfunction going on in important relationships around you, and you're avoiding the thing you know you've got to do. That was Jacob, and you just say, God, you've got the details here. Some of you are drowning out your frustration and discouragement with alcohol and you're in private just drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking because it's the only way you know to cope. Some of you have found yourself into smoking stuff just to numb your feelings and emotions. And if we talked about it here or or someone said, hey, this is going on, you would look go, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. And then you get in your car going, that's me. Because we're embarrassed, we're ashamed of where we go, we're ashamed of how we cope, we're ashamed because we know we weren't supposed to live this way. We know we were created for so much more. And we're so embarrassed, just like Jacob. But there's got to be a moment where you say, I was made for more than this. And I may go out, but I'm going out in a blaze of glory, trusting God, I'm walking, I'm going home. And what we'll find out if you read the rest of the story on your own is God met him along the road to affirm him, to encourage him, and oddly enough, to fight and tear his hip out of socket, but that's for another day. But in that meeting, he then said, Jacob, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. I'm changing your name to Israel, because you are no longer the deceiver. You're the one who wrestled with God, and you prevailed. And I'm going to forever be known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And my people will be known as the people of Israel And your sons will be the tribe names for all of my people. And if I'm Jacob in that moment, I'm thinking, God, I don't deserve it. I just want to live. I just don't want Esau to kill me. That's all I'm asking for. And God said, no, I've got so much more for you. I've had it planned for you the whole time. I just needed you to be fed up enough to get up and do something about it. And trust me, and I'll lead you home. I don't ask you often to memorize verses, often meaning never. I don't ask you to do that. And I want to ask you over the next couple of weeks to to memorize a verse. It's become a life verse for me. And maybe it's one of those verses that you'll be able to speak as well. Because right now, many of you are at your father-in-law slash employer slash uncle's house with all sorts of messed up stuff going on around you. And maybe people know, maybe they don't. And it's really disappointment, discouragement, embarrassment, shame, a little mix of everything. And you're stuck. And what you don't see is everything's really a spiritual battle anyway. And your enemy is just kind of standing over you, taunting you. Saying, yeah, just stay down. Stay down. You did this to yourself. Stay down. Just hide. You don't belong to be out here. You can't handle what's going on out here. And nothing makes me more mad than watching someone taunt someone else. I can see it. And it fires me up. My daughter and I watch football together a lot. And my wife watches games that actually matter, like our favorite teams. My wife and I are like, or my daughter and all, well, a lot of that story, I'd be very careful what I say there. My daughter, not my wife and I, will sit there and we'll watch just because it's football. And my daughter's so funny because, like, she has a list. Like, you know if you're on the list. And when we're watching a game together, someone gets dumped down in a tackle and someone else just kind of stands over him. She goes, what's his number? Like he's, like, he's on the list. Like, we don't, we don't do that. Like, that is on the list. She's got a list of people, Tom Brady, Cam Newton. She's got all this list of people that she just can't handle in life. I was like, baby, if they get saved, you know, we're going to have to share eternity. Well, on the other side, not, like, not here. But we joke about it. But you make the list. And when you stand over someone, like, oh, listen, every single day of some of your lives, the enemy is just standing over you, daring you to get up, daring you to do something about it. Maybe you're there because you put yourself there. Maybe you're there because someone else knocked you down. But regardless, you were made for more than that. And I want to share with you in closing Micah 7, 8. And maybe you can't remember all the words, all the lines. It's not that long. There are four lines, and that may be three too many for some of you, so just pick out one of them at least to memorize. But Micah 7, 8, it says, Do not rejoice over me, enemy of mine, as the enemy stands over to taunt us. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I live in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And there are mornings when you have to get up and look in the mirror and admit, I've made a mess of stuff. But do not rejoice over me, my enemy. It's true, I've fallen, but I'm going to rise. And though I sit here in darkness, the Lord will be my light. So you can have your fun, and you can look, and you can think it's over for me, but I'm Southern, I'm finna get up, and I'm gonna go and move forward. I'm going home, because this is not what I was made for, and this is not how this road ends. So you can do whatever you want, smirk all you want, but God's lifting me up. That's when the turnaround happens, and that's my prayer and hope for all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us as we have stumbled and tripped and fallen at times, as we've deceived people and paid for it, as we've been deceived maybe and just held grudges and we've paid for that. But regardless of how we got to that place where we don't belong, there we are. And your call today on our lives is to come home, and if we're tired enough of it, and if we're willing to do something about it, you are willing to lead the way and lead us home. So God, I pray that we will take you at your word, we'll trust you, and your promises say if we're faithful and just, that you're going to cover us, and in those moments where we lack faithfulness, you're going to cover us with your own righteousness that was achieved through Jesus' sacrifice. God, we have no excuse for staying down. You've called us up to something else. I pray that there would be turnarounds happening all around our spiritual family here as people are fed up with where they've been. Father, for anyone in this room, whether it be an adult or teenager or child that's not a follower of Jesus, I pray that this is the moment they simply call out and say, Jesus, I'm coming home. Lord, I've been far away for far too long, and today's the day I'm coming home. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness and your grace, and we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.